players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Brainstorm, Lightning Bolt, Force of Will, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common. To uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bosch and Raw on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Welcome to episode 53 of the Eternal Glory Podcast, a saga of madness. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are y'all doing tonight? Hanging in there, Phil. We're doing it. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah we, it has been a while. We, we missed a week. Yeah, that's on me. Um, we're going to kind of start on a somber note here. Um, my mother passed away uh, unexpectedly um, like two or two and a half weeks ago. Um, so I, I went out of town uh, for a while to kind of take care of all of that stuff. Um, hence my own content hiatus and uh, and whatnot. I'm I'm good now. Don't don't worry about me. Uh, but you know, it just kind of felt like we should say like, oh, why did you all randomly not record for a while? That was why. Yeah, we're the we're the reliable podcast. I don't know how other people are doing, but like we, the three of us are pretty good at keeping a schedule. We're professional. We show up. There's not drama behind the scenes where people are just like, you know, f you. I'm not recording this week. Like none of that stuff happens. So if we miss a week, there's a good reason. And uh, definitely, there were no questions asked when Phil told us he needed that week. Yeah, it's 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 weird to just like stop producing content for a while. Because the rest of this summer has just been like, all right, every day, clock in, record two videos, clock out at five, like sort of thing. And then it was just like, oh, I'm not going to record for two and a half weeks. This is weird. Also, there's a lot to do regarding a funeral that I didn't think about until I was in the midst of helping to plan one. And holy crap, the time disappears. I believe that. Yeah, I've been fortunate that I've never been on the planning committee for a funeral before, uh, but the 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 eldest generation of my family is almost gone, and I'll be in, involved in planning the next round, so not looking forward to that. For a variety of reasons, not just because I have to do stuff. Speaking of the time it takes for content creation, I went out to dinner recently on a, you know, double date, couple date, whatever. And they talked about how much time I must spend making YouTube videos. And someone said, oh, it's so it's like you have a second job. And it, it took me a second, but I was like, yeah, pretty much. Like, I spend three to four hours a night, you know, just making YouTube content. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a second job. And we've talked about the reality, like the back end stuff of being a content creator pretty regularly on this channel to the point where we've had commenters complain that we should stop talking about what it's like to be a content creator and just talk about legacy. And to them, I say, kick rocks. This is who we are. But yeah, like it's definitely a second job. And I'm actually at the point where I've started thinking about my day job as my second job. And this is my job, which is probably like reality is probably going to hit me. Uh, I go back to work in about two and a half weeks. 
and it's back to a full five hour or five days a week, 80 hour. I can't say these words correctly. Eight hour days, five times a week, 40 hours. That's what I'm saying. And I haven't done that schedule since March of 2020. And it's going to be August of 2021. Like I've been to work, but we had Fridays off. There were sporadic COVID spike closures along the way. And I, it'll be the first time where I clock in Monday morning and I'm there until Friday afternoon uh, in almost two years. And reality's probably going to check me that I can't put nearly as much time into the content as I have been doing. But as far as what I value and like how I want to spend my time and like, frankly, where my money's coming from, like content creation has overtaken my day job. I have a question. And I know that this is like, we're getting a little into the deep end here. The CDC today pushed a notification, at least to my phone, saying that the Delta variant has gotten so bad, they're recommending that people uh, wear their masks indoors, especially if they're unvaccinated. Um, from my understanding, a lot of children are not vaccinated. So when you return to school, are masks required? I got well. That oh, sorry. Uh, I was about to say let Phil answer that because my population has never worn masks. I'm in like the the deep end of special ed, like the special ed kids that special ed programs can't serve. They get sent to me. So like one percent of one percent, and those kids, some of them don't tolerate clothing, much less they have to start wearing a mask for reasons they don't understand at age 16 or whatever. So, uh, no to me, but Phil probably has a better answer. Um, so I got an HR email about an hour after that announcement went out <laughs> that is starting to probe uh, teacher comfort level and stuff like that. Um, so the answer is we're about two weeks away from the start of school, and like due to this information dropping today, like no one knows what the start of the school year is going to look like. Um, I'm, I'm really hopeful that we can continue to have a degree of normalcy and like, I'm hundred percent good with wearing masks. If that's something we need to do, I'm, I'm so on board with it. I'm so willing to do that. Like anything to keep us from going full virtual again. <laughs> I don't know that that would just be the biggest morale blow possible after last year. Yeah, it's kind of a mix for me. Like, I I mean, I'm obviously going to do what I'm supposed to. Like, I always have. I will follow the CDC recommendations, whatever they are. I, I trust the science. But at the same time, having these few months where it's just been like, everyone's vaccinated, take your masks off. God, it's been nice. I really don't want to go back to masking up at work just because it sucks. But I, I'll do it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not going to be one of those people holding a sign that says I need a haircut. But that that's definitely i'm not looking forward to that if it happens when we first returned to paper magic i wore a mask week one and i got a lot of looks and i was like all right maybe i won't wear it week two uh but at this point i'm like six or seven weeks into playing locals it feels like and uh it's been great playing paper magic again i've missed it yeah for sure uh i've seen i've played paper magic three weekends in a row i guess four if you count a pre-release i've played three legacy tournaments so four four paper tournaments i think three total people across those four events have worn a mask for the duration of the event but uh, at the time the cdc recommendation was vaccinated people don't need to so i didn't i went to the ymca yesterday to like think about getting a membership because you know 
seems like the sort of thing that is reasonable after being inside for such a huge portion. And then the CDC information hit today, and it was like, uh, do I do I still do this? Do I wait on this? I don't I don't know how I feel about that now. Yeah, I just signed up for the Leaving a Legacy uh, open in August, so next month. And I'm like, will this happen now? Uh, I just literally yesterday spent $50 to sign up. I know that Brian was on Leaving a Legacy last night. We'll be out before them. Fuck you, Leaving a Legacy. <laughs> but uh, you just got insider knowledge. But yeah, so I'll, I'll be at that. I don't know if you two are planning on making the trip up there. It's a little bit far for the two of you, but it should be fun. No, I'm I'm not gonna do that one. I'm I'm not putting any any paper events on my calendar until I see what the beginning of the school year looks like and how content creation goes while working under more normal circumstances. Because I I want to make sure that if I can, I can produce content five days a week while working full time. Like that's that's my current goal. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to travel, but. Massachusetts might as well be Madagascar from Pittsburgh like it is not close not even a little bit it would involve an airplane and uh, no offense to leaving a legacy but I'm saving my my precious PTO time and airplane flights for the year for like the the Missouri 100k that's coming up and I'll be at the legacy pit in September that's not a flight I can drive to there but yeah Massachusetts is just not close to western PA I think it was like the fifth leaving a legacy I actually flew to. Uh, I couldn't find anyone to go with me and I checked flights and it was literally $80 after tax. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll just fly, even though it's pretty close. And then I ended up making top four. And in the middle of my top four game, I was like, if I win this, I'm going to miss my flight. Uh, So I ended up like losing, but also like I kind of like I was taking aggressive lines, hoping that I could just win quicker if that was going to be the case. And I eventually like got to the gate as like it would have been closing, except my flight was delayed two hours, and I was like, oh, <laughs> "Yeah, should have played." This is just tighter. like a double feel bad. Yeah, I, I definitely, I was, I judged U.S. Nationals one time back when I was a judge. I think it was 2010, and one of the people who made top eight had a Sunday morning flight booked. It was just one of those like, I'm unlikely to make top eight. I'll, I'll min max the situation, and then he made top eight, and he was like worried about like hemming and hawing saturday night about it before the sunday morning top eight and he showed up in the morning and he was like yeah this is a good reason to to get bumped like i'll, I'll just take a later flight like i i've won more than the the rebooking fee or whatever so here i am all right what other life updates we got folks so uh i know that brian just started season one well ted lasso season two is back and i watched the first episode so excited. If you haven't watched season one, I would highly recommend doing so. I do not care about soccer or football, if that's what you would like to call it. But this show sucked me in uh, for my birthday back in March. The wife and I, we ordered dinner and then we just literally watched all of season one in one night. It's only 10 episodes and they're like 30 minutes each. Not too bad. But uh, once you start, you will get immediately sucked in. Highly recommend it. Yeah, for for people who don't know, it's about a... Uh british football aka soccer uh club that uh they hire a american football coach like an amateur coach who just like went viral on the internet for dancing with his players and there's like secret motives to do that and like it's a comedy it's jason sudeikis who is 
just great in everything I've ever seen him in. So uh, I was hooked in immediately too. Like I also don't care about sports, but sort of like the point of the show is that the, this guy, Ted Lasso is lovable, even though he doesn't know anything either. Like this amateur football coach coaching a hundred year old British football club, but you like him anyway. Uh, and then my only other life update is I bought a silent air conditioner. I had a normal air conditioner in my office, but it was too loud to run while I record and at the end of like two or three videos, I saw them and I was just like a sweaty, fat mess. And now I'll just be a fat mess, but now I won't be just like grease balling all over my face. So it's made my content better the last few weeks, or at least in my opinion. And it's just like a lot easier to record events. Yeah, that sounds nice. The The room that I record in, it gets like a little taste of the air conditioning. Like I have central air in the house, but my top floor, it's not very good in and the bedrooms have individual units like yours, but this room doesn't. So I get like a little taste of AC, but if it's really hot, it doesn't do what it needs to. And I can't crank a fan for microphone reasons. So it gets weird in here too. So I will consider that option. Speaking of home fixtures, I believe last time we talked, they were about to jackhammer up my basement and replace my sewer. That was just like pooling my own excrement under my home where I sit and enjoy and watch TV. And that's been fixed. The basement's jackhammered up and resealed. Now I need to find a contractor to rebuild the the nice parts of the basement. Like it's functionally all there, but uh, that was my hangout zone. It was my living room. It was where my TV, my nice couch and everything is. So someone's got to come in and redo that. And I've learned about the contracting business that any contractor doesn't just do any job. They're not just like waiting for a call. The first three places I called, they were like, okay, what do you need? I was like, I need a floor and put back in and a couple walls repaired. And they're like, we only do full floor wall and ceiling jobs. I was like, oh, well, that's not what I need. And they're like, well, what's the square footage? We'll talk about it. It's like, I'm not ripping up my ceiling and extra walls just to like meet your quota to hire you. Like that doesn't make any sense. And then like the next place I called, they're like, ah, what's your budget? I was like, eh, probably around like seven, eight thousand. They're like, oh, we we don't book jobs for less than fifty k. I was like, oh, well, well, shit. <laughs> and then I I learned that like small job contracting, that's what a handyman is. I thought a handyman was something different in my head my entire life, but handy person, I guess in twenty twenty one. But uh, a lot of the businesses are still called like handyman services or whatever. That that's small job contracting, which is a different subset of the contracting business. Now we know. So I have one of those people coming to get me a quote. Marshall Arthurs is probably listening to this right now, just deeply upset with you, Brian. I don't need my floor epoxied. He does epoxy specifically. But Marshall, if you want to cut me a deal, uh, this this will be out before the the guy comes to give me the quote. So uh, you want to give me a quote? You know my budget seven to eight k. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's do it, Marshall. And I've been. I've been playing Storybook Ball. Sorry, that's my last thing. Storybook Brawl is uh, de- designed by Matt Nass. Matt plays uh, a-, a couple of magic pros and magic designers, and they have a new auto battler that the magic Twitter sphere is pretty excited about. And it, it it's pretty fine. If you like auto battlers, you will enjoy it. But I don't know if I'm going to go pro or anything or make content, but it's it's been fun to click through in my downtime. 
All right, uh, let's move on to our next section then, uh, donations. Uh, thank you very much to Henrik Korkwitz and Spencer Burke for supporting the podcast. Now Bryant doesn't have to make an OnlyFans and sell feet pics in order to pay our editor at Force of Phil. So that's fantastic. <laughs> Is it only fantastic? <laughs> Speaking of OnlyFans puns, when I was, I posted a sideboard guide to hype my Patreon today, and I thought of the joke uh my patreon is now only plans oh sideboard plans uh but that's pretty good but i i didn't i didn't fire it off i couldn't make it work in the tweet smoothly but i there was something there i just couldn't shake it out in time it, it's okay just leave that one on the back burner it'll I will. it'll simmer and work itself out speaking of titles uh i should probably explain this because i think it happened after <laughs> we recorded our last oh episode. this shit all right yeah so reddit you either love it or hated it at this point. It's been uh, kind of messy, but Reddit has decided that I am the enemy. Yeah, out of all of the content creators that post their stuff to Reddit, Bryant Cook is the biggest asshole, which I will not deny. That's probably true. Um, but people have decided that I am the most egregious, and they started attacking my posts, saying that I'm using clickbait. And I decided, hey, if they don't like clickbait, I will give them what they want. So I made these very elaborate and descriptive posts with great titles, in my opinion, that say exactly what I am doing. Uh, player plays deck with mechanic that copies spell for each number of spells played this turn in event on Magic the Gathering Online was one of them. Something like that. Oh, you, you, you got to do today's shill thread by unjustifiably butthurt clown who plays matches with player <laughs> that also enjoys mechanic that replicates based on the number of spells cast in a turn through five matches of old format but not super old format on very old program tangentially the code base hasn't been updated since 2002 so that one was uh like admittedly this one was more than the previous ones uh, Alex McKinley top forward the showcase, which is going to be a shout out in my uh, magic update. So shout out to Alex. And when Alex posted his video, somebody commented calling me uh, a butt hurt clown. It's, <laughs> it's saying that like Alex's smug picture depicts our deck and like a bunch of this other stuff. But they didn't know that Alex wasn't me. So they were just like attacking me and Alex's post. Uh, so it was just great. And I just like quoted a bunch of this person's rant in that title. So like tangentially, like they just like randomly had that in their like middle of their like hate speech towards me. So I decided to throw that in there. Is it the same dildo who originally called you out for like your savage clickbaiting two weeks ago? Is it the same person or is it, have more picked up the torch? More have picked up the torch. But I've noticed one person from Modern, like there's this person that just like shits on me in all of my Modern threads. They've now come to Legacy just to do the same, but they don't post in Legacy if they're not hating on me. So like this person must like follow me now just to take giant dumps in my thread. Well, in the immortal words of Megan the Stallion, I encourage my haters to talk, throwing that shade only keeping me lit. Ugh. <laughs> so enjoy that. But yeah, so if you've noticed those thread titles, they're all in good fun. Uh, I'm probably going to return to nor normal titles at some point because I think people oh, are you, you, a little you bit are, fed up with You are them. beating the dead horse at this point. I mean, uh, hey, if you so like people either love or hate them. But if you look at the threads, they're getting more clicks and comments than like all the other video stuff still when people like 
dumping out like this one currently has 30 comments and 30 upvotes um when you look at other content creators like they're not getting nearly as much interaction so like even bad press is good press right uh oh, yeah. but they are getting a little stale at this point point in my opinion ride it into the sunset like do it until you get banned <laughs> do not slow down make them longer make them more tedious yeah Never i would stop. like to piss the cringe thing off uh, a little bit more all right moving on before we go down that fucking rabbit hole um we did have a contest on our uh, previous episode of the podcast um and so congratulations to jedem uh, for winning our contest and guessing the uh, the largest number of uh, intro guests correctly. And we will be making a donation to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation on their behalf. Hooray. Nice job. Yep. Happy to be given a little bit back to the community here. Because uh, you all have supported us in various ways, you know, whether it's through the podcast directly or through our individual content. So, you know, time to pay it forward. Shoutouts to Mike Noble, who just submitted Blink-182 song names. Love you, Mike. I think I could probably name 10 Blink-182 songs, so it's impressive he got 50. Did he fill in the whole list? He filled out the whole list, but there was like five real names he put in. Okay. Did we have any Adams do the intro? Like, Adams song? Did he? Could he have accidentally gotten one right? I don't believe we've had an Adam. Oh, too bad. All right. Sorry, Adam Wallace. Maybe in the future. Yeah. Uh, Adam Barnello. Adam Hernandez. Uh, there's a few Adams who make content creation. Like, we, we can do it. We can get one in there. If we need to pursue this Blink-182 meme any further. All right. Can we use our money to hire Blink-182 to do an intro for well, an episode? Well, Phil this already is fucking vetoed. Bat Commander all over again. Yeah, this is MC Bat Commander that Bryant and I were ready to spend podcast money to get him to do an intro, and Phil was like, "No, we can't do that." But that—that's fair. Uh, though we better hurry up because uh, Mark is not doing well with cancer from Blink yeah, Think of right that, Phil. He could use our podcast money. I see. All right, let's let's do some MTG updates real quick, and then let's get into the meat of the episode. All right, um, I'll start. Um, I do have a banger of a tribal shaman video that I posted. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, turns out Rage Forger plus Harmonic Prodigy can create a very stupid number of triggers and just kill people instantly. Um, Am I supposed to know what those cards no, are? No, you're not. Yes. Uh, one of them, yes. The other, no. You're old enough. You should know about Rage Forger. The other one is brand new, though. That just sounds like a card someone made up. No, it, it's the engine that could. I played Rage Forger in a extended Grand Prix at one point. Shaman Tribal. Alright, I've just Yahooed it. Looks like it's from Morningtide. That's right. Alright, Rage Forger. Two and a red for an elemental shaman that is a 2-2. Two, two. When Rage Forger comes into play, put a plus one, plus one counter on each other shaman you control. Whenever a creature you control with a plus one, plus one counter on it attacks, you may have that creature deal one damage to target player. So, Phil, what the fuck does this other card do? Harmonic Prodigy doubles any triggers that a Shaman or Wizard would make. So, you play a Rage Forger, you get two sets of plus one, plus one counters, and then you attack with those creatures, and you get two sets of the attacking triggers, and your opponent just dies. And if that doesn't work out, you play shit like Essence Warden, 
so that you gain like double the amount of life every time you're playing one of these creatures and like you dump stuff into play with collected companies um it's one of those moto leagues where like you're playing it and you like have triggers literally going across the entire screen it it feels good this sounds like the epic storm to me you put some permanents into play then you cast a payoff and your opponent dies in one turn yep this is basically the same deck it might be better uh, if you like, you can write an article for the epicsworm.com and uh, submit it there. Yeah, it's the build that doesn't die to Null Rod. If, if I had more time, I would totally do that to fuck with you. <laughs> I mean, we've already had Ruby Storm and High Tide. Why not? My video releasing tomorrow is actually Tony Scaponi's The Epic Ruby Storm with uh, updates, actual wish from the D&D set. That card is fun. I've been playing a lot of it. Uh, Like, at least six videos in the last two weeks I've released are with Wish. Yeah, not too many spoilers. I mean, the video will be out by the time this pod comes out, but there's a game against Counterbalance. My opponent goes turn two Counterbalance, and I'm like, how do I beat this? And I just threaded the needles with, like, uh, Ritual, Ritual, Wish for Chandra Awakened Inferno. (laughs) It's just... Hadoken. <laughs> Man, I, good luck I with that love one. that card so much. I wish that card was still as good as it used to be, but the incidental life gain that's in the format now is just so damning. Yep. Every time your opponent casts Uro, you say, damn. So that's about right. Alright, so I guess I'll go next. Uh, I think all three of us have these at this point, but if you would like to support us outside of the podcast, Look into our YouTube memberships. I just got mine off the ground. I know Brian and Phil have theirs. It's very similar to Patreon. So if you're interested, go check out YouTube memberships. You can do it through each and all of our channels. The button says join. It's right next to subscribe. Um, other than that, shill, I've recently played a lot of modern. Like since the last time we recorded, I've probably played at least 50 modern leagues. Um, I kind of stumbled upon a deck that was a lot better than I expected. So with Wish coming out, there was a deterministic kill in the Twiddle Storm deck that I make a lot of videos with. So if you're unfamiliar, you put Lotus Field into play and then you use actual factual Twiddle and Dream Script on tap your Lotus Field. Well, with Wish, if you have six mana floating post Twiddles, you can Wish for Underworld Breach, Twiddle again twice, Wish again for Tome Scour, and now all of a sudden you have a deterministic loop that wins the game. So it's essentially a one card combo as long as you have twiddles and you play eight twiddle effects in your deck and a bunch of cantrips so you can find them. Um, so I was playing this within the twiddle storm shell, which has like all the arcane spells. And after like jamming like five leagues or so, maybe 10, I was like, why am I still playing these arcane cards? They don't help me achieve the breach combo. And now I'm just like straight up Lotus Breach, Bobbles, Luris, whatever. Deck is busted. Uh, Just made a video on it and it's doing pretty well. If you're interested in a new modern deck, make sure to check that out. I have a very serious question about that deck. IRL, do you have a Japanese foil corset twiddles or do you just play alpha? I recently bought and actually shipped them out today to get signed Japanese foil sevenths. Nice. They are expensive, but worth it. They're just so gorgeous. Yeah, seventh foils are so hot, and it seems that the market has finally noticed that. Like th- those cards have just no set in Magic's history has art like seventh edition. It's like after alpha and beta, when there was no art direction, it was just like, "Hey, draw an elf or whatever." 
and then art direction started happening and then seventh edition they just sort of like threw it to comic book artists for one set and the foiling process is gorgeous it's old border like the cards are black border the foil cards and just the seventh edition foils are so hot and it's at a point where even just like some random card like uh sulfurous springs or whatever is hundreds in foil just every seventh foil is through the roof and i probably learned this like three or four years ago i didn't realize that for seventh they commissioned new art for every single card in the set like as a kid i just didn't realize that some of those weren't reprint arts yeah i actually don't like the aesthetics of seventh edition just because i mean it doesn't really look like magic art compared to every other magic set and I hate white borders. I've always have, even as a kid. I was like, why would they do this? This is just a bad decision for no reason. But the foils are just so hot. The convergence of things that make them so hot, it is true. And I love seventh foils so much. I felt like they hit the pinnacle of the foiling process in seventh. And like you see them like try to replicate it a little bit with like the end of Odyssey block into Onslaught. And then they hit the uh hey we're doing mirrored and new frame stuff and i wonder if it's just because like while they were so gorgeous it was just really expensive to print high quality foils on that stuff which is why they switched paper and frames uh part of me wonders about that but like i'll never know it was a decision made 18 years ago or whatever at this point yep the ship has sailed all right while we're talking about like new cards um i just got to play with i think it's tasha's heinous laughter hideous hideous laughter um anus anus yeah tasha's anus <laughs> all right and there's the laughter <laughs> we're adults uh thankfully otherwise this would be a little weird okay anyway after, after playing with tasha's for a little while tasha's what what were you what, did, <laughs> what part of tasha were you playing with <laughs> anyway oh, please please describe what card you were playing with after playing with tasha's uh, for a little while um it was quite fun um the variance is really weird and you have to like do these like mental hoops to try to figure out like which one of your cards actually mills more um but i i i milled for 30 for one card which yeah, was just I did that in modern. absurd I'm terrified that someone's going to do it against me on TES and just deck me from like 45 cards. I It was one of those things like where I looked at my opponent's deck count. I was like, oh, they've got like 48 cards left. And then I cast that and I'm like, oh, my God, we win next turn. So I don't know how I feel about mill being a viable strategy in modern. Uh, in Legacy, I imagine we still have the tools to fight it. But in modern, it's just genuinely a solid tier two deck. And I think I hate that. But I, I mean, I don't I don't know, like there, there's finally a critical mass where it's a thing you can do and it is competitive. Oh, let me let me tell you the, the tools to, to fight it. They exist. And you know what it is? It's my boy endurance. Because, yeah, that's true. Let me tell you when you mill out your opponent and then when they are about to draw their card and lose the game, they endurance like 30 cards back into their fucking deck. You lose your goddamn mind. <laughs> so speaking of uh, Tasha's hideous anus, Tasha's removes all of those cards from the game. Fun fact. So it actually beats a lot of the cards that people use to try to beat Mill. Uh, when I was playing it, it removed an Emrakul. Uh, there's a, a, granted, it was a fun game, but I played it in a two-person queue 
before trying to just get the feel and it actually exiled the guy's blessing so the fact that it exiles makes it so much better in the league that i played it came up that against dredge it actually exiles it so you don't have to worry about giving them dredgers uh it's just a very different beast in the fact that it gets around all the ways that people try to beat mill and i don't know it just it doesn't feel right like the the other card the three blue 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 one mills 14 like granted that's really pushed i think hideous laughter is even more pushed like it just feels stupid oh the card's very good um but it's when it's not very good it's weird uh like i I played against death on taxes and there's things like uh like like the batter's call and the cauldra in there and then it's like well how good is this actually going to be when i cast it and there's a lot of a weird amount of variance and uncertainty in how much you're actually going to mill. I have a very important question for you, Phil. Mm-hmm. Were they playing Yorian? No, they were playing a weird build. It was like Esper Sentinels and uh, a brain fart. What's the what's the white evoke one? Solitude. Yes. Yeah, it was like uh, Wismare. Es- yes. Uh, they were they were playing Wismares and uh, and Esper Sentinels. Um, so, Look at Brian quick on his feet. Yeah, that's my only contribution to this conversation. You guys are talking about Mill, and I'm just throwing in troll comments. Though, in seriousness, though, I'm so sick of losing to Mill and Enchantress in the modern leagues that all of my any list that people send me in modern right now just gets like three back to natures and an Emmercool added to the sideboard just at baseline before I even look at the rest of the list. I'm just like, yeah, we're not losing to the, those two decks. Oh, okay. And, it's i think it's more of a league thing than a uh, these decks are particularly great thing i think at a grand prix i'd want to be gearing towards beating luris and uh hammer time and grixis control like that's probably the real modern format but in the leagues you all can go to the tape i record all my leagues i play against enchantress on average like one and a half times per league and mill is good for one per league and it it's just crazy and those are the type of decks that if you don't have a specific plan, you're not going to beat. In Enchantress, you could nickel and dime them, get under what they're doing, but uh, that's a legacy deck, folks, in the modern format. like that, Basically, every card in that deck is legal and legacy. All right, since we're rambling here and not getting onto the topic, I have never gotten destroyed as hard as I have by Modern Mill. There's that one-mana artifact they play got like a skull on its art that whenever a card like a a creature goes to a graveyard or something you gain some life and that thing just absolutely wrecked me do you know what i'm talking about no i'm i'm shocked what card do you know about that i don't okay there was phil made it up there was some card where like every time a, a creature is put into a graveyard from anywhere or something like that like they gain a life and i'm all like cool i have lethal next turn and then all of a sudden, I did not have lethal. And then they played another one, and it was like, I, I can't ever win. <laughs> so shout out to the legacy the players. But I feel like sometimes we're really slow at picking up some of the broken stuff that happens in modern. So like we were pretty slow to get Hogak. Like Hogak was destroying modern for like two months before anyone tried to port it. Uh, I recently faced, uh, I'm going to blank on his name now, English guy that lives in Canada. Plays in all the SCGs. Anyway. Uh, uh, Dom. Yeah, Dom, Dom Harvey. Harvey. So I was facing Dom Harvey. Dom Harvey had ported over Hammer Time to Legacy. 
I think that deck has legs. It's certainly legacy playable. And at first, I thought it was Death and Taxes. Dom bled on Plains Mother of Ruins. And uh, just quickly caught me off guard with Ink Moth Nexus in the Canonist game one. And I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, when th- that deck's like known for being super fast and modern. And it plays uh, like Springleaf Drum and Zero Mana Creatures to help accelerate. Well, in Legacy, you get to play uh, Legacy Staple Mox Opal in your aggro deck and that seems like a big boon so i wouldn't be shocked if hammer time is you know a legacy deck in the next month or so it's basically infect but better because it's a really tough time to be an infect deck and that's that's the case in modern it it's probably the case in legacy as well and there's never been so many ice fang quaddles and shark typhoons prismatic endings prismatic ending yeah all these things and uh, Phyrexian, or not Phyrexian, uh, Plague Engineer can name Phyrexian these days. All of the creatures in Infect are Phyrexians now, with their creature types having been updated with MH2. So uh, it's a tough time to be an Infect deck, and Hammer Time is just Infect with resilience. So it came up in a chat that I was in probably like three weeks ago at this point that, according to Goldfish, um, Plague Engineer is still like the third most played creature. It might have been second at the time. But I do not run into Plague Engineer at all anymore, or even decks that would be playing it. Like, I guess Maverick might have two somewhere, but I just never see that card anymore. It's like it fell off the face of the planet. Yeah, this is the conversation we had in our last episode about when I see Underground Sea, I assume my opponent's on Doomsday because black is not playable. And sure, there are black decks, And there might be people out there still in 2019, like living their life. Uh, The local tournament I played this past weekend, there was someone on just actual factual Grixis control, just Baleful Strixes, Kolagon's commands. And it's like, homie didn't learn about Uro over COVID. (laughs) Sorry, Uh, that person did not top eight the tournament. I'm sorry to say. Like, there's just not a good fair black shell right now. Uh, Endurance really flipped the script on everything and uh, i guess you could be bug and still get endurance but it's tough out there for for being a fair black deck right now you're essentially a time traveler brian you could have had the power to tell them about the future and you chose not to that fucks up the time stream have you seen any movie you have to leave everything how it is butterfly effect i tell that person about grixis not being good because of uro and i don't know like India gets earthquaked into the ocean. Like it, these things happen. Ashton Kutcher told me. All right. So the card I was thinking of, it's it's called Profane Memento. So one colorless. Whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, you gain one life. I'm looking up this card now because it's not ringing a single bell, which is impressive because I spend a lot of time looking at magic cards. Is it from like Modern Horizons or something? Um, looks like M15. Oh, it's an uncommon printed in one course at one time. Looking at the art, I have seen this card before. The art is dope. Appar- and apparently this is a $2.35 uncommon with a $14 foil. Nice. Yeah, we're, we're the only people who don't know about this. This must be a commander banger. I don't know. Better people just really like the art. They're like, fuck yeah, skulls and feathers. Skulls and feathers. Yep. Hashtag skulls and feathers. All right. Um, are, are we ready to get into the meat of the episode now? 
I think I would like Phil to tell me more made up cards than end up being real. <laughs> oh, we we could play a game where I just say three things and it's two truths and a lie. There, two of them are actually magic cards and one of them I made up. Oh man, but we'd be so good at I, this with all the donation deck BS we play. <laughs> that's true, but you would have got me with profane memento. But uh, in all seriousness, I haven't done any updates yet. We've been just oh, circle jerking <laughs> for so long. I'll do it quick. Don't worry. Uh, I released a video with the rules of legacy. Like it's it was a judge conference presentation that I did because I am also a judge, just low key. I haven't really put on a uniform and judge an event in probably six years, but I am still certified. I still help out at the local level. And I was asked to talk about legacy at a judge conference. I recorded my presentation. It's on bosh and roll on youtube it's called the rules of legacy and i go deep i go right into layers we talk about blood moon moon <laughs> blood moon humility dress down opalescence how these things interact with each other magus of the moon like all of that stuff and then branch out into this other other legacy stuff just cool legacy stuff and that video is worth a watch if you ever plan on playing legacy which i imagine many of the people listening to this podcast do I would just like to say that Twitter told me that judges are the bad guys a few weeks ago, and I don't know if I'm going to watch this video now. Uh, was that the, the Sperling thread? Yeah. So judges, in all seriousness, and this might be unpopular, but it's true. My experience being a judge is that the thing that Sperling said, at first he was shitposting, for those of you who need to be caught up on the drama. At first, he was shitposting about how Commander ruined Pro Magic as like a domino effect of like judges made this format and then uh, donkeys liked it. And then wizards realized that donkeys have more money than sharks and etc. And Pro Magic died uh, 15 years later. That was a shitpost. But then the judges attacked him for saying that. And he was like, just for the record, the judge community is way more insular, clicky, bullyish and whatever than the pro community is. And it's not even close. And he is 100% correct about that. Having been involved in both communities at various points in my life, Magic Pros are so much nicer, cooler, better to hang out with than judges. So, sorry, judges. I have lots of judges who I like. Friends, like, it's it's not... Judges are not a monolith, but as a group, uh, I don't... I probably don't want to be in a group of four or more judges ever in my life. Because, like, weird things start happening. That said, <laughs> you got me onto that dark path, <laughs> delving into my sordid past in the judge program. But I also picked up a TCG player affiliation. I thought when I got the affiliation that you could just type Bosch and Roll as like a code at checkout, but that's not how it works. You actually have to click my affiliate link to get into this. You have to access TCG player through my link, and then it automatically does that. So it takes a little bit of work, but... On Twitter, on any of my videos, I have a link tree, and in there is uh, shop on TCG Player and benefit my channel. I just get like a 2.5% of anything you buy, and it costs you nothing, and it helps me a lot. So click that link if you're shopping for cards anyway. And we've already touched on this a little bit, but I've played Paper Magic the last month, uh, basically every Saturday, and... There was the D&D pre-release plus three legacy events. I'm three for three on top eights. Didn't win any of them, but Bant has been showing up for me. And I'm playing for a Gaia's Cradle next weekend as well. So the Pittsburgh magic scene has really showed up. We Let, let me be more specific. This isn't FNM. I played for a Tropical Island. I played for a Mox Diamond. 
And I got a Wheel of Fortune for fifth place, by the way. That tournament was nuts. It was basically a 5K. And then this past weekend, I played for an Underground Sea, and then there's a Gaius Cradle tournament next weekend. Like, the Pittsburgh Magazine, the stores are really showing up and running things worth showing up for. So shout out to Titan Games and The Vault in Greensburg. That's all I got. Now we can talk about all these right. decks. Sorry, Phil. I know we're only 45 minutes into the episode. Almost 46 now if I burn a couple more seconds. But we, I mean, we, we had some go, stuff to get out. We could go into Tasha's heinous anus again. And just <laughs> get you guys giggling for another 20 seconds. Uh, all right. Wait, what if Dovin had to veto Tasha's heinous anus? What does the flavor judge ruling on that look like? What's going on with that thing that Dovin is like, no, absolutely not. So, Mr. Gallagher, we've gotten word that you said some very strange things on a podcast this one time. Do you do you have any comments about that? Nope. You're going to have your st- a student on your roster named Tasha this semester, and it's going to be a problem. This is just going to play over the loudspeaker in your school. You'll be escorted out by the, the police. <laughs> Tasha's parents will be crying in the lobby. You'll have to go on record saying your anus is fine. I didn't mean it. It wasn't you. It was a different anus. <laughs> Since we're wasting time anyway, I'm on a roll now. So, you know, the uh, the spice anise. Uh, that's a spice that you can like put in cookies and stuff. And I one time was walking with my ex-girlfriend. It was like towards the end of our relationship when I didn't really want to spend any time with her anyway. And we were in the grocery store and we walked by a display of anise cookies and I was like, hey, look, anus cookies. And she was like, not amused and was basically like rolled her eyes like, I hate you so much. And then I spent the rest of that shopping trip playing the penis game by myself, which is where like you say penis like a little bit louder than the last person until you're bo- everyone's shouting it and whoever gives up first win- loses. And I was playing the anus game with myself in the grocery store. I was just walking around. I was just like, anus. Anus. <laughs> And she was getting so mad at me, and it was great because that was the only joy I had left in that relationship at that point. So do we want to talk about magic now, or are we still talking about I love that this story? episode was supposed to be about madness and Urza Saga. And we have to send way it better. into madness. No, no, it, this is madness, I think. This is what happens when we don't get together for a month. Just insanity creeps in. All right, anus fetishes aside, let's let's talk about whoa, some whoa, lizards whoa. now. We might bring it back, Phil. <laughs> D- don't close the door on it. Yeah, and, and no shade, by the way. If this is your thing, go for it. I feel like I missed We're the an inclusive podcast. Yeah, I mean, I personally don't want to interact with Tasha's heinous anus, but if if that's your thing, go for it. Anyway, can't now wait for that... the comments on this one. They made <laughs> butthole jokes for twenty minutes. Do not listen. Uh, yeah, whatever. All right. So uh, originally, when we sat down to write the show notes for the episode, we decided that this episode was going to be about madness and standstill. Um, and then we didn't write show notes, so this is going to be one of those like "fuck it, we're doing it live" weeks. Uh, like we have plenty of things we all want to talk about. Um, but as far as semblance and order, uh, expect there to be uh, randomly inserted anus jokes, I suppose, with the way this episode is going. Randomly what are we doing to the anuses? <laughs> I, I gave you the layup there. All right. Um, yeah, so, and I, I took it. So let's let's start with madness. 
Um, this is a deck that is near and dear to my heart and is probably my favorite deck in Legacy right now, just in terms of like playing it. And my my audience tends to really enjoy it as well. Um, so just to kind of start off, in case you're not super familiar with the deck, um, this is probably the deck that leans hardest into Lion's Eye Diamond that exists in Legacy right now. Like, so many combo decks use Lion's Eye Diamond as a way to produce mana and fuel an engine. But in this deck, like, Lion's Eye Diamond is, is mana, and the discard your own hand is an upside rather than the downside that it is in every other deck in Legacy, which is so strange. And I have been just beating the dead horse in my videos, like, Every time I'm playing against a blue deck and they don't counter my Lion's Eye Diamond, I'm just like, oh, we're in the clear. Like, we, we win this game. Yeah, that is something that you can observe happen in real time. I played a, a full challenge in tryhard mode with Bant about a month ago, and the full seven rounds are posted on YouTube. And I ran into that deck for the first time and had to figure out what it was doing live in tryhard mode in a, a Sunday challenge. And... You can see over the course of game one, it's like Lion's Eye Diamond and Taiga. That's weird. What are they doing? I'll counter the Angie's Ravager, I guess. And then there was just like so much more in play and I couldn't keep up with. And then like game two, they have a Once Upon a Time. And I'm like, do I counter that? Like maybe I'm, is that the counter? And, and like, I have all my graveyard hate in, all my removal. And then like, I win that game by the skin of my ass. And then in game three... I finally realized, oh, this is just dredge, and I forced the Lion's Eye Diamond and win easily. And just seeing the play pattern evolve, and you really do have to treat it closer to dredge than Hogak, and it's pretty explosive in that way. So this isn't the first time that this deck has existed. I'm sure at least Brian remembers, I feel like Phil might too. Mm -hmm. When they uh, shifted Arrogant Worm into being red, this deck existed for a little while before dying. People were trying Madness. Back then, it still had Wild Mongrel in it, but people were trying the same deck that had, you know, Root Wallas and a bunch of stuff, and it was just trying to be fast. It had Anger in it. It existed. It just was really low power level, and while a decade happened, we had a Madness block that didn't really see a whole lot of play with the second coming of Innistrad, and now here we are again with that little bit of power creep that gave that extra push. There was some activity along the way, too. Sorry, Phil, but... Uh, I know Phil has played a number of these decks, and me too. There was I did a series where I played Red Green Madness, probably the end of 2019 into the beginning of 2020. I feel like, I think I literally released it on Christmas because it was Red and Green of 2019. And uh, I, I played the deck. I didn't even know Angie's Ravager was a card that existed, so I updated it, played it again, and then somebody else asked me to play it a third time. So the Angie's Ravager, Hollow One, those are all both printings that came in between Arrogant Worm and Blazing Rootwalla that have given this deck a small life along the way. But Blazing Rootwalla was really what the doctor ordered. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's now you have a critical mass of good madness cards that allow you to have enough different game plans that all overlap that you're not just dead to one any any one hate card. So conceptually, a lot of times when people look at this deck at first, they go like, oh, my graveyard hate is going to dominate this matchup. 
and then you just like play a burning inquiry discard a couple of lizards play a hollow one or two and it's like oh no my graveyard hate didn't do anything this game and there's a lot of scenarios where you bring in cards that are maybe not targeted for this deck but that you conceptually think are going to be good and they're only good half the time which is a huge strength of this deck yeah the only card i found that it that does what you feel like rest in peace should do is to fairy time rappler because it shuts down madness and obviously as a three drop you, you got to do some work to get there but that that feeling you get when you have rest in peace and play against dredge that's the feeling you have when you have teferi in play versus madness but rest in peace doesn't feel that way and graph digger's cage doesn't feel that way just even holding up like swords to plowshares doesn't feel that good against what they're doing like, you you really need a cross-section of things. You have to beat a creature deck, you have to beat a combo deck, and you have to beat a dredge deck all at the same time. I have the best anecdote for this. So I, I was bantering with an opponent. I think they were on they were on Death and Taxes, and they were like, oh, hey, I love your content. Like, I know you're an absolute master of the craft. I'm happy to play against you. And they they played an Aethersworn Canonist, and I'm sitting there with these two Vengevines in the graveyard, and, and they're probably feeling pretty good about themselves, right? Like, those Vengevines aren't going to come back. And then I just play a Burning Inquiry, play two Hollow Ones. Like, I discard a, an Anger in there, I think, and I just attack with two Vengevines and two Hollow Ones and kill them. And they were just like, oh, no. I was just going to mention, so we talked about how a crucial spell to counter is Lion's Eye Diamond. Putrid Imp is actually very dangerous as well. And, like, the old Dredge decks used to play Putrid Imp, and it'd be, like, this slow thing. Like, they'd turn one Imp, and their upkeep, discard dredge, maybe cast a careful study or a breakthrough. Well, recently I've experienced this twice, where my opponent's just gone turn one, putrid imp, discard anger, discard another card that might not matter, maybe it's a root walla, and a hollow one, swing for six on turn one on the play. And it's like, okay, well, it's only six. They didn't have the double hollow one, but all of a sudden my ad nauseum shut off by the time I can cast it on turn two. And you're like, maybe I'll echo. Um, and granted, I realize people play decks that aren't the Epic Storm, as big of a mistake as that is. It happens. Uh, but at least with playing Storm Combo that relies on your life total, it puts you back up against a, a door or against a wall where you have to use your secondary engines that are less reliable. And that's why I put up that Twitter post that was like, do you think this is an aggro deck or do you think it's a combo deck? And 70% of people said it's an aggro deck. And I would agree with that. Um, but we haven't had a real aggro deck in a very long time well yeah even hogak has the the ultra kill and hogak is sort of the the spiritual cousin to this deck and it's yeah it's been a long time since we've had like a merfolk or a zoo in the format uh steel stompy i think was the last good aggro deck and even that has chalice of the void and spheres and stuff like madness is a true aggro like it is play creatures turn them sideways so there was the uh mm17 white weenie deck that existed during the companion era that's true that was definitely an aggro that, deck. that yeah. was the the other one that comes to mind recently so uh something that i mentioned before we uh went live was the madness deck is so scary in particular because in my opinion it's an aggro deck but it threatens your life total so aggressively that it makes you play into mind Break trap as a combo deck so normally your plan against Mindbreak Trap decks is you set up a defense grid or you set up a term where you can double action spell. 
there's no time for that with madness. Like you have to jam into whatever they have. So if it's force of vigor or mind break trap, they're going to get you with whatever free spell they have. And that's terrifying because of its speed and its aggressiveness. You have to play under their tricks. And the last time I can remember a deck like this was zoo in like 2010. Uh, Cause like they were just a fast deck, but that deck also had like three mind break traps in the board and you had to choose whether you were willing to risk dying or running into the trap. The interesting thing there is that um, the Madness deck is not, like, one deck. It's really, like, six different variants. Because there's a straight red-green version, there is a Jund version, there is a Rug version, there is a Rug version with Cephalid Coliseum, there is a second Jund version that has additional Madness threats like the, the Kitchen Imp. And because all these slightly different variants exist... Uh, like no one of them is being focused on as like the soul like this is the madness deck and so like sideboards aren't solidified so sometimes you're playing around the mind break trap or like forced not to play around the mind break trap that may or may not be there uh, it puts you in kind of a weird spot conceptually yeah this is the conversation we had last year uh, when we were all playing vintage for eternal weekend and the the bizarre decks there was like the Rootwalla Memnite Turbo Vengevine deck, which is basically this deck, which is now legacy supported. And then there was actual Hogak with all the pitch spells like Force of Will, Force of Negation, Force of Vigor, backed up by Hogak. And then there were like, other more mid range ones. There was like three or four Hogak Bazaar decks that were fundamentally different decks, even though they all had like 30 of the same cards in them in that vintage format. And that's kind of what's going on here, too. Yeah, one of the big cruxes in, in deck building right now is whether or not Burning Inquiry is actually a good or bad card. Uh, because it's it's strange. This, this deck is relatively consistent. And sometimes when you cast a Burning Inquiry, it's not actually a good thing for you. And you, you kind of end up messing up your hand or your ability to like plan out and sculpt things. So Burning Inquiry is something in particular that makes Hollow One just absolutely nutty. Um, but sometimes like you cast a turn one Burning Inquiry, and then you just leave yourself with the perfectly wrong set of cards, and you kind of like flub around and lose the game. So there are some people who are trying to build the deck in various ways without Burning Inquiry to minimize that randomness aspect of it. So if you read like Facebook posts or some Reddit threads, Burning Inquiry is the biggest atrocity with that deck. Uh, people loathe that card. So if people hate it, there's a good chance that it's probably pretty playable. Um, I understand the random aspect of it, but that's not a card I would personally be looking to cut just because I'm looking to maximize what my deck does best and just accept that there's going to be a small subset in which I don't get to do my thing. It's a lot like playing Storm Combo, right? Like you just want to do your thing the most efficient way possible and accept those small percentage of the games that you don't do what you are trying to do, right? Yeah, I played this this I played one league with this deck, so I've less experience than Phil, but in that league, I sometimes cast Burning Inquiry, discarded two hollow ones and left two Vengevine's root wall in my hand and like, okay, great. But also in that league, I cast Burning Inquiry on turn 1. And I saw my opponent discard two chal or not chalice two ancient tombs, and then they just did nothing for two turns and died. Like they had to play like Inventor's Fair as their first land, and then didn't have a second land drop. And it's like I didn't put Burning Inquiry in my deck to be him to Turok, but 
that's not flavor text either. Uh, yeah, I've you had plenty of games like that. Yep. So it's it's weird. Um, like an, another weird thing about this deck that kind of took me a little while to learn is that like faithless looting isn't always a good turn one play. So if right. if you if you faithless looting on turn one, you discard two cards, right? And that means that hollow one still costs one mana. So there is a lot of times where you end up wanting to faithless looting on turn two instead so that you can actually use it as a hollow one enabler um and sometimes sometimes you just pass the turn so that you can have a more explosive turn two or even in some dicey situations a very very good turn three and like my first league i was just like all right we're just jamming all the time and then i learned like 10 percent more patience and opened up the doors to some really cool lines sounds a lot like the epic storm yeah, nothing feels worse than a hollow one that costs one in magic. Like when you're tapped out, like you've you tried so hard and this thing costs one and you've cast a root wall or there's two venge vines in the graveyard and you just say go. Damn. Like, so, yeah, just a little bit of patience, learning, learning the lines, learning when it's time to shove, when it's time to hold the old uh, Kenny Rogers, knowing to hold him, knowing to loot him. Yeah. Another thing that. I really surprised me with this deck is just the number of time like just dumping three lizards into play is just good enough to kill your opponent like yep. it doesn't seem like three one ones should do that but they just do yeah it turns out they're not one ones not for long blazing rootwalla is just delver of secrets and basking rootwalla is not far behind yep blazing rootwalla is is the delver and basking rootwalla is the nimble mongoose yeah, I, I had a game the other day. I was playing Bant, and I was on the play, and I... Or, I must not have been playing Bant. I was playing Shark still, that's what it was. And I was on the play, I had a turn two standstill, and I was like, okay, uh, land go. And they played the Underworld Cookbook, and passed the turn back, and I was like, well, I'm gonna play the standstill. My hand has land number three and Shark Typhoon. If they tap this cookbook in response and cast Blazing Rootwalla, I can trade with it next turn with my shark and i win if they cast basking rootwalla i lose <laughs> and like i'm gonna have to break my own standstill because i'll never be able to kill a 3-3 with this shark typhoon and they did in fact discard basking rootwalla to make a food with the cookbook in response to my standstill i broke my standstill like five turns later at four life and then they won the game and it, it is crazy that just like that one idiot can go coast to coast especially if you have two or three of them all at once it it's real. Legacy decks aren't built to beat explosions like that. Yeah, cookbook seems sweet. I'd love to see the madness deck paired with a cookbook. Yeah, I keep seeing these crazy Twitter screenshots of 5-0 cookbook decks, and I've seen like Jund Madness versions. I've seen several versions with Urza, and oh my god, sign me up. But this version I played against, uh, they had Rootwalla. They were also doing the uh, Oval Chase Daredevil thing. I mean, obviously, I think that's cards a lock if you have Cookbook in your deck. And I didn't quite get it till like game three. There, we I lost to that Rootwalla game one. I beat them easily game two. Then game three, their engine came together, and they cast Faithless Looting, discarded two Oval Chase Daredevils, and I was like, oh, that's what we're doing here. <laughs> I'm in for this. This is dope. Also, Hollow One brings them back too. <sighs> yes. Yep, so many artifacts. That's a cool deck. So the, at least the Jund version is pretty tight. I I feel like the Jund, in, 
legacy specifically in in the legacy jund version i feel like you have about four to six flex slots depending on how sold on anger you are so you have like about two angers about two ox of agonas and about two gamble and i think it's hard to fit in underworld cookbook despite the cool things that you can do because of that because if you want to dip into cutting other cards you have to start looking at things like once upon a time which help really give your opening hands stability and give you the ability to dig late game for like the haste damage you need off vengevine or you know the ability to refuel via ravager so i don't i don't know if it works in legacy but it's the potential's yeah, it's there definitely just a different deck if you're doing that like that that's just a different thing with that's also using blazing rootwalla as enough rootwallas to to have a party but that's a very different deck than the the eight walla aggro deck that we've been talking about i think like anytime a deck is referred to eight something i just hate it in my head like anyone that eight i've whack. ever met well there's eight whack which is just like brain dead aggro sorry eight if you're rack. A fan. eight rack i haven't met a single person in my life that i'm like oh they, they seem like a nice person that plays eight rack and modern like all of them wow. are just like mean wow. people so uh, if you're one wow. of those people i apologize but you're probably a terrible person uh just throwing that out wow there. uh the opinions of brian cook are do not reflect the opinions of all of the co-hosts or the podcast at large but he's entitled to have them please ma be mad at him on reddit and flame him for promoting his content but <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, eight rack is definitely a thing. I actually have eight whack in my recording queue. Like that's coming up in a couple weeks. There's always a fan somewhere. Uh, yeah, uh, eight. How about twelve? Twelve post. Is that? Are I they love also those people. terrible people. They're just walking bys. I wish them more of them existed. Yeah, dead money, dead money in the tournament. Uh, I like them if I have two back to basics in my sideboard that day, and I hate them if I have one or zero. So. Uh, well, that's up to me, what mood I'm in when I run into them. It's crazy. Uh, so if you've been breathing over the last eight months, you've probably seen Into Play in a legacy toppy of a challenge. And if you look at Into Play cyborgs, they consist of four Mind Break Trap, four Force of Vigor, four Carpet Flowers, and three Flex Bots. And those three Flex Bots are usually anti-combo. And I still beat Into Play 90% of the time. Um, I'm not, this isn't supposed to be like a humble brag. It's just like, that's how good the matchup is for storm against the cloud post deck. I think at some point you just decide that you're going to punt it because like, there's just no chance that you'll ever win. But a lot of these cloud post players are just determined that they will beat storm one day. Yeah. I think in a grand prix, you can just punt the matchup, make sure you beat the decks you're supposed to beat. Cause like we've talked about, or much has been said about how many competent Storm players exist on the entire planet and what the odds are that you run into them in a Grand Prix is. And in a tournament where you have a lot, one or two losses to give, like you can give them. So I'm generally on the punt Storm if it's hard plan. But if your deck is already just not losing to Fair Blue, then you have a lot of slots available. Like you're not bringing in Rebs and Fluster Storms to have little fights. Like you're, you're like... Four Pithing Needle, no Wasteland, here comes Emrakul, good luck, idiot. And if that's if that's what you're doing in the main deck, I think you have slots to give, but I, I think you could still make an argument to just punt Storm as a 12-post player and try to farm the GP that way. 
So since we're already on the topic and it will branch into our later discussion, uh, I mentioned this in a video recently. Uh, Prismatic Ending is having the same effect that uh, Trinium Nemesis had on Stoneblade-esque decks in 2013-2014. When Trinium was printed, all those fair blue decks got a ton of open sideboard space. And with that open sideboard space, they added things like Metal Image, Canonist, a lot of anti-combo. Because it made it so they didn't need to prepare for mid-range or blue as much. Prismatic Ending is very similar. It's cleaning up a lot of slots. And now these people that are running blue-white X just have a lot more open sideboard space than they did previously. So those slots that used to be like two disenchant and a Council's Judgment or like Council's Judgment, Disenchant, EE those are being consolidated now and now it's maybe two and now they have one more slot for something else that could be for like nick fit or storm or whatever um and just like these consolidation slots they don't seem that impactful but they're secretly huge i think prismatic ending is quietly one of the cards that has warped legacy the hardest since its release but because it's not like one of the biggest flagship cards like it's harder to see that so, so many of the threats that are good right now are threats that are good against Prismatic Ending. Like, Ragavan has dash so that you can't answer it at sorcery speed. And Murktide Regent is something that just straight up dodges that effect. And I, I think, like, those threat bases changing coupled with the way that you get to change your sideboard because of the existence of this card uh, is just hugely impactful for Legacy. Yeah, Prismatic Ending, I've talked a lot to a lot of people about that card, and just as the, the fair blue-white X player, all you want on the Earth is a flexible answer to stuff, so you can consolidate slots in your deck. And when I was typing up this Bant sideboard guide for my Patreon this morning, I kept looking at things like, oh god, like, where's the wilt? Where's the return to nature? Like, I did I misbuild the sideboard? What... Why does this feel so wrong? And the answer is because I have three just Vindicates in the main deck. And you just don't need those slots anymore. You don't need a Disenchant in the board because you you have them in the main and they also kill Ragavan. And I think that that card is absolutely warping every format it's legal in. I think it's a big part of modern right now. Uh, even like the aggro and combo decks are playing that because you just it's just worth doing. It's so good. I, I don't know like what else I can say about Prismatic Ending, but you just get to do everything you want to do in a single card, and it's right there in the main deck. I have a question for the two of you. Do you think it is in the top five removal spells printed of all time? I mean, without looking at a list and really doing any research at all, I would say probably. If not top five, top ten for sure. So, like, obviously you have, like, Bolt Swords. And then, like, there's a reasonable drop-off. You could argue that Abrupt Decay is probably in the top five. Uh, but after that, like, it's pretty questionable. You could, like, say maybe Fatal Push. Uh, but, like, Prismatic Ending, Ending is, is way better than exactly. Fatal Push. I think it's better than Bolt, too. And, like we said in previous episodes, I think there are metagames where it's better than Plow. Like, you play four Endings before you start adding Plows to your deck at... I said it a month ago too, like Ragavan having haste changes your incentives quite a bit. But if there's ever a format where Ragavan either isn't legal or isn't a key player, I, I could see playing the four endings before you go to two or three plows. So I'm sorry that I derailed the madness discussion. Um, Phil, 
Is there any other madness points or anus points that you would like to discuss? Um, We'll stick to the madness for just a minute longer. I think the sideboards of these decks are really cool. It gets to play a fringe legacy staple uh, that has seen play in uh, Dredge before of Firestorm. Uh, in case you're not familiar with this one, you choose and dis- it's one red mana. You choose and discard X cards, and Firestorm deals X damage to each of X target creatures or players. And this card gets to do some of the stupidest shit I have ever seen in Legacy. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was. I, I was playing against some deck like Death and Taxes, and I cast a Firestorm for X equals four. I killed three of their creatures, dumbed them for four, dumped three or four creatures into play, triggered some Venge Vines, and just basically went from like, oh, I am so far behind to I have won the game in one turn with a single card. Yeah, Firestorm's a beggar. I love any time you can play that. Uh, small correction, you were reading the printed text of the card. It is X targets at this point, so you can hit Planeswalkers with it too, in case there is one, if that affects anybody. But yeah, the, like the line of, like the way that card scales and the way you have to plan for it is a lot of fun. In your opening hand, you can always target yourself and your opponent at the bare minimum and just discard two things, deal two to each target. Like you need exactly X targets and you have to discard exactly X cards. So like it is kind of fun. If they have a creature, you can do it for three, target yourself, them and the creature. And on those mid game boards, like you rip it off the top when you're miles behind, it's like loading up the machine gun otherwise like there's some interesting choices with a sideboard like do you play leyline of the void to be better against the very fast um graveyard combo decks that can also interact with you or do you play like a fairy macabre so that you can discard it and fuel your hollow ones but then it's like uh, is that really how i want to be using my discard my like graveyard hate cards is to just like make a four four and Sometimes the answer is, yeah, because I'm a fucking aggro deck and I want to turn this stuff sideways before my opponent does their thing. There's also the fact that for every time you board in something like Leyline of the Void, you're making your deck less aggressive and that will cost you games, Uh, especially if you decide that it's important enough to mulligan for. Like, you're definitely going to lose games at some point for that. Yeah, um, let's talk about that for just a second. Brian, on average, how many cards would you say you sideboarded when playing with Madness? Not very many. Uh, I, I, you could go to the tape and check, but I suspect it's between like zero and five. Yep. I like that half of Brian's response tonight have been go to the tape. Like I check the tape. It's all on video. I would like instant. No one can tell me. Like, I think that, I mean, we should go check. (laughs) Yeah. Like call up Mark Madden, have him circle some stuff. I mean, I like that you confidently just like said the the words 90% with no qualifier. You're like, I beat into play 90% of the time, but I will at least give myself an out if somebody does the math be like, hey, yeah, just go look. But yeah, it, it's between like zero and five, probably in the, the two or three range and ideally zero. <laughs> like, let's just go. Yeah, there, there's been so many times where I'm like, I could sideboard. I don't think I need to. Or like, I'll sideboard when I'm on the draw, not when I'm on the play. Um, the, the deck tends to play a lot of like maybe three ofs in the sideboard. So you make some small ad- adjustments um, and, and then you just call that good. The issue is like your main deck is so good that unless you really have a problem that you need to solve, you don't want to sideboard. Like 
the the list is is tight unless you're playing like street wraiths or something and then those are kind of a free roll to sideboard out i found myself as not a huge non-blue player frequently looking to once upon a time as the shavable cuttable card but then your opening hands get worse and like what do you gain from the sideboard cards that you lose when you just have fewer vengevines and hollow ones on turn one and that's just a pretty tough calculation that i don't know the answer to yeah um i i also lean towards trimming once upon a time if i have to sideboard a lot of cards but i try not to put myself into that situation so like there's a lot of times where you can go down on like burning inquiry gamble anger once upon a time that sort of stuff without really messing with the core of the deck but i basically try to never touch the core because like a a basking root wallow on its own is fine but when it's coming with friends and you know bringing back the venge vines and stuff like that that's when those cards pop off so if i find myself wanting to sideboard six or seven cards i really take a good look and it's like how much of this do i actually need you know how many answers to a delver do i need yeah this is something that i've run into or it's a revelation i had probably in the past two months while playing bant i I was playing cards like rest in peace because i was like oh i can just pivot off my uros really hit the other graveyard decks and then I realized that Uro's just better than Rest in Peace against those same decks. Like, let them have their graveyards. Uro is more powerful than denying this angle. I mean, I'm not talking about, like, Dredge and Hogak. I'm talking about, like, uh, Dragon Rage Channel or Murktide Regent, like, uh, Delver decks. Like, Tarmogwave Delver decks. Like, I'd still just rather have Uro than Rest in Peace against those decks. And I'm all the way off of back to basics against death and taxes which is something that i was doing in blue decks for a long time but it's like with uro in the calculation and uh prismatic ending in the calculation i don't want to turn off my non-basics even if it hurts them like just being able to cast my spells is more valuable than that so that's the same sort of theory that the madness deck just embodies all the time it's a little different in a blue deck because you can cantrip for a one of and like bringing in one back to basics when you could have two that's just not how a deck like this functions like if you want bone shards in the matchup you're bringing in all three like you don't get to play one and dig for it if you need it <laughs> that's just not how non-blue decks work but i have been applying similar like just execute your plan the best you can theory towards other matchups as well how do we feel about um sometimes you'll have a card in a deck that's like fine but then you'll play a slightly better card in the board and I feel like a lot of people do this because, one, you get cards like uh, Prismatic Ending that upgrade so much that you find yourself with extra board slots and you're like, I don't know what to do with them. But like, for example, let's say you're playing, um, God, I don't have a good example here, but like uh, the two mana burn spell with land drop. Um, Searing Blaze. Searing Blaze. But you're like, I guess I'll board in just like another burn spell that doesn't require creatures, even though like my opponent's deck technically plays creatures just doesn't play a lot like this might not be the best specific example but like cards that are just like slightly better but not really that impactful i think those are wasted slots in a sideboard like if i'm playing like a lightning bolt in my deck and i could have like madcap melee which it deals four damage to a red creature and just in case i get played against red like 
obviously that's not a real legacy example. I'm just trying to like, like it, I guess a more real one is the will toward the back to nature in a Bant sideboard when you already have three prismatic endings main. It's like, okay, this is an instant. I can cycle it if it's not good. Uh, it has some graveyard splash on uh, back to nature or return to nature. Sorry, back to nature is a different card. Return to nature. It, like there is some small modal difference, but generally what you have, what you're looking at is a disenchant. And I think that that's a wasted slot. Like you need to really ask yourself, do I want four disenchants or am I boarding out prismatic ending for disenchant? And that that's a fair question to ask. The answer might be that you want four disenchants, but I don't think you should just be defaulting to like, yeah, this card's been in the deck in the past when its role is already covered elsewhere now. Like you should be looking for something more exciting, something that covers an angle that's not already covered. You just brought up a good point that like people play three often... null rods. Wink, wink. Oh, fuck you. Uh, people <laughs> often don't reevaluate their cards enough. I think that's definitely right. true. Uh, Anji's Ravager in this deck was a great example, right? Like Anji's Ravager, when it first got printed, saw... A very minimal legacy play uh a handful of red prison players tried it people tried to make it work in in the madness deck and now all of a sudden like once you have just a few more cards that change the context it's an absolute banger and like when you go all in with led and anji's ravager on turn one and then like it also has haste with anger so you Im immediately refuel like you could you can do some gross things with a card that like previously wouldn't even have been you know in the umbrella of legacy playable how many angers is that deck playing now i'm just curious um between zero and three okay uh i've just noticed that recently my opponents are having it more often on turn one and i was beginning to wonder if it was just like a one or a two of or are they playing three or four now no um it it has never been a four of um at least in any of the lists that i have played and uh essentially anger occupies this really weird spot where like the card does nothing on its own like it requires a faithless looting burning inquiry it's a two two haste fill that's the floor that's a great right. card L let me tell you in my corvold edh deck curving anger into corvold is the nut draw because you sack the anger to corvold's etb trigger corvold gains haste and you're in right away so i don't want to hear anything about anger doing nothing on its own yeah get out of here phil okay Continuing on, um, in addition to the like the hoop you have to jump through to get it into the graveyard in in the first place, it also doesn't work with all of the lands uh, because sometimes you'll have things like Cephalid Coliseum or Tropical Island that don't actually contribute to giving your creatures haste, uh, which means that even when you have the anger in the correct zone, it's not always good. Uh, so. Two is probably the most common number of angers, and it just depends where people have gone with the rest of the flex slots. Anger is just the definition of diminishing returns. Like the first one, you're just anyway. I started blasting meme. The second one, it's like damn it. So having two and just betting that you're going to shred through about half your deck and and, and find one is a reasonable bet to make with the inquiries and lootings and everything. So I feel like two is a good number and it, it's a card that you can board out pretty easily. If you expect hard graveyard, hate. like you expect the ley line or the rip like that, that's a clean level sideboard out and it's just a, a fun upside in the main deck. So I, I like two a lot in theory, even though I haven't really been working on the deck the way a lot of people have, but just 
my eyeball says two. Phil, you could also play Wonder if you're playing that Tropical Island. Flying Haste? Oh, so good. Yeah. Okay, so delving into the blue for just 30 seconds here. the There's two main attractions to blue. Uh, you get Careful Study, uh, which is, you know, redundancy for Faithless Looting, and it means you don't necessarily have to play Burning Inquiry. And you get Cephalid Coliseum. Now, Cephalid Coliseum isn't an early game enabler, but it is just like the absolute bananas mid-game card because it, it just gets to say no to counter spells. Like, you don't get to interact with that. So if your opponent has, you know, been countering your stuff, yeah, has plenty of mana and cards available, you just drop a Cephalid Coliseum and then you get to do your thing. Um, so it allows for some really explosive and stupid things, fuels Ox really well, you know, another great way to dump Anger and Friends into the graveyard. And the rug list started out um, as a way to get Chain of Vapor into the deck so that you could answer hate. And the more I played, the less I liked rug because you don't need to answer hate. You just kill them. Like, you don't need to bounce their leyline. Just, like, find another way to deal 20 damage. Like, it's it's okay. I am in the Jund camp now, personally. On the subject of careful study... This is a real interaction I witnessed this past weekend. There was a an 8-wallet deck made top 4 in our Underground Sea tournament, and it, he played against Izzet Delver, the one Delver player in the, the tournament, earlier in the day, and the Delver player let turn 1 Faithless Looting resolve, or not Faithless Looting, uh, Careful Study. Like He had the force and was just like, yeah, that resolves. And then a bunch of stuff came into play. And after the match, the opponent was like, uh, I'm surprised you didn't counter that. Or like, did you have the counter for that? And he was like, yeah, I had the counter, but I can't counter that. It's not like it's faithless looting. And his opponent was like, it's literally faithless looting. <laughs> they have all the same words. <laughs> and it, it was the, the person was a like mostly modern player, like a younger guy who just like didn't equate the, uh, the faithless looting to the, the careful study. And it was just one of those. Now, you know, moments well phil if you're playing blue you could play circular logic the most true madness card possible big draw to playing blue you wouldn't have to play crap like mind break trap when you have a sweet card like circular logic just think about it there's actually a oh, the veil of summer lobby is back again <laughs> there's actually right. a really good card for the deck that doesn't actually exist on magic online um i i think it's mind bomb it's it's something like one blue deal three damage to a target and you discard a bunch of cards hold on phil's making up cards again no this I one's know, real i, I can picture the art in my head and he's pretty close on the text the art is literally a missile and the shell is breaking off the missile and there's a brain under yeah here we go all right each player may discard up to three cards mind bomb deals damage to each player equal to three minus the number of cards they discarded this way so it's like blue bolt light it's it's lava spike if i want to keep all my cards and i can gain one life to discard a card let me tell you as a control player i would have to be at three life and i would still think about discarding a card <laughs> i would still consider whether a life is worth more than a card <laughs> but yeah this card usually sucks but when you're getting just three damage and three discards like when there's upside to the discard this card becomes pretty cool basically firestorm yeah it's kind of annoying there's a few popper cards that i've wanted to play i wanted to try rust to stop uh spell bombs and popper and i just don't understand why all cards aren't don't exist on magic online like wizards 
just fucking add shit. It's not that hard. Oh, it, it's it's cool. It's not like there's major like uh, cards that would define archetypes that uh you know aren't aren't printed on Magic Online that Phil is salty about. Uh, are we talking about Keen Duelist? No, because well, let me tell you, uh, Keen Duelist. I had three Keen Duelist donation decks in the queue. I took the money. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll get to this in two or three weeks and let you know how it goes. Three weeks later, I find out Keen Duelist is not on Magic Online. And it's instrumental to all three of these decks. Like, that's that's the kind of card that isn't just a role player. Like, it is the engine. And I had to go back to these three people and like, hey, sorry, this doesn't exist. And uh, it, it that was annoying. Uh, there's also the... There's a goblin lore from Portal Three Kingdoms that isn't on Magic Online, which, I mean, these Madnix desks aren't playing goblin lore either. But the, before we had eight rule allas, I would have liked a fifth one in my list uh, last year when I was playing around with the deck. So, what card are you talking about that doesn't exist? Um, I, I believe it's Lilia. It's a, a, th- a threat that would very easily slot into Red Prison. L a e l i a, I think. The blade reforged yeah so it's uh starting stats are a 2-2 with haste and when it attacks exile the top card of your library you may play that card this turn whenever you exile one or more cards from your library and or your graveyard put a plus one plus one counter on lilia so it's a threat with haste that scales and gives you card advantage like yeah that card's good 100 percent would red be prison. seeing legacy play in the like uh red prison version with fireflux squad uh, and maybe elsewhere because it can do some really cute things with a relic of progenitus Ooh. yeah you've thought about this and i like it uh there's also cursed mirror i don't remember exactly what it does but i know i looked at that and went that's legacy playable is that the card i just bought a japanese one for my commander deck that i never use Comes in and plays a copy of a creature, taps for red, for two and a red. Yeah, uh, that's that's another card that would be seeing Legacy play. You copy Goto, so then you get Hammer of Nazdin, and then you get, uh, what's it called? The one that makes infinite Godos. Uh, uh, it's a Helm of something. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, that that is certainly another aspect where Magic Online is a different game than Magic the Gathering. And that is... I mean, we're all content creators. Maybe Bryant doesn't run into this, but Phil and I, the clock is a thing when you're comboing off. I, I guess maybe Bryant knows about this a little bit, but like decks like Bomberman, Dragon Combo. Alluren. Alluren. Yeah, Alluren is mercifully not that bad, but like any Lion's Eye Diamond looping situation, it's like you have to loop the LED 60 times or whatever then you have to get the walking ballista then you have to pay x equals 20 and then you have to click deal one damage 20 times and it ugh, sucks you can do it it just sucks so i have if i want it i have a donation for Aluren sitting in my inbox and i'm sitting there going like do i do i want to click through acerac Aluren? like is that going to be fun is that going to be good content i haven't replied yet i'm still thinking about it Oh, that's actually rough. I have the modern version in my queue uh, with Rooftop Storm because he's a zombie. You get the same effect. You just cost six instead of four. And 
I had not considered that it isn't ETB drain one. It's ETB venture and like only one of the rooms in the dungeon drain for one. So you have to loop the dungeon over and over again to drain one each time you go through it. Yeah, I I think I'm going to refuse it. I I refused it. Well, I didn't refuse it once already, but I kind of like steered the donor towards something else. I'm like, I like your other idea better. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> the the only donation deck I've ever just outright been like no way Jose was somebody wanted me to draw the game they just wanted to create unbound unstoppable loops like helm you with uh, we all sun and moon in play I'm just like nah but yeah I'll, I'll generally click through a combo once to get it on the channel and say that that content exists if you want it but I'm not playing like world gorger dragon twice a week yeah i've I've got four things in my like no fly list bomberman food chain jeskai ascendancy and stifle knot but that last one is because of one individual not because of uh the deck (laughs) i received a lot of requests he works for me uh, now the last like few weeks to play jeskai ascendancy uh i don't don't do it it is it is god awful to click through I have not had that much trouble with Jeskai Ascendancy. I, I played that deck very early when Pioneer was unveiled as a format, and I played it more recently in the, the present version of Pioneer, and Ascendancy is not as bad, not even close to Bomberman. I'm actually totally fine with uh, Aluren as well, but combos where you have to uh, float mana while looping to pay mana later, like the Ascendancy, you eventually just get to attack. But yeah, I, I don't know. It, there's different amount like the amount of clicks to get through it like six or seven clicks for bomberman to get one white mana that sucks but ascendancy's not bad so i do have something to say regarding time uh due to our editing software theoretically we could make our videos a little bit more um you know better viewing for the viewer if you don't talk while doing some of the execution so like maybe while you're executing this like maybe you only talk every you know, 30 seconds or whatever. So that way when the viewer sees it, they only see like you start at the middle and the end rather than you clicking 45 times. Uh, so that's oh, one avenue. That right out. Yeah. So, so. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm always like, okay, the, the world gorger dragons on the stack, they haven't broken it up. I'll see you when I'm done comboing. And I just yeah. cut that whole section. I do out. the same thing like, as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, don't make them watch. It, it's, it's Nobody more of, I don't want to spend 10 minutes of my time clicking through this, like, saying nothing. Like, that's real boring for me. Fair enough. Uh, So then the other thing I wanted to mention is, recently I've run into a number of people that are just, like, incredibly slow. And it's really nice to have uh, the ability to just, like, edit them out. Uh, So, like, you don't really say anything and, like, you just let the clock burn down. So that way, while you're sitting there miserable, at least the viewers aren't. And if it seems like they're down to 30 seconds and you still have 18, it was went pretty quickly for them. So that's always nice. On the subject of what your opponent gets to do, like, I hate when I know that they're just F6, they went to pee, grab a sandwich, and they're just running out my clock. Like, it's their prerogative. I'm not salty about it, but I, I hate when that I know that it's true. If you're playing a Lauren and Ukima Stalking Shadow is your win condition, Ukima has two triggers. It has one that when it leaves play, it drains a player equal to its power. But it also has partner, which outside of EDH actually does have rules text. And the partner ability is 
when this creature enters the battlefield, target player may put the partnered creature from their deck or maybe deck or graveyard from their deck into their hand. So you can target your opponent with Ukima's partner trigger before you pick it up and drain them for two. So they can't F6 through your combo and just walk away like they're clicking along with you because <laughs> you're giving them priority on every trigger. So that was kind of funny that I realized that when I played Alurin recently. Oh, that is that is cruel and I love it. I might default to Akima as my Aloran win con on Moto for life, even if there's better ones in paper, just for that reason. Like, we're in this together. Let's go. I am very much in the camp. Like, once you have determined that you can kill me, I am conceding. Like, I don't want to waste my time. Yeah, I'm... I, I split the difference. Like, 90% of situations, I'm just like, yeah, they have it. Let's Let's be done here. But if it's like a challenge or a PTQ, Eternal Weekend, and you've chosen Bomberman, I'm making you spend your clock. Oh, yeah. I that, I, I specifically yeah. meant for, for league play. Like Yeah, yeah. For league play, absolutely. We're done. Yeah. I actually just played a dragon combo against uh, Achilles, like the, the Achilles, Maverick Achilles. Just yesterday, I recorded it. And it was a build of dragon that had Piranha Marsh in it, which is a land that ETBs tapped and an opponent loses one life when it comes into play. And that was just my land for the turn. And then like turn two, I was like, you know, dark ritual and tomb, animate dead. And he, he let me loop like three or four times then was like, Oh, I didn't see the Prana Marsh then scooped. And I was like, Oh, okay. That was the, the slow roll fake out. Like, well, like did you, like, I, I trust that someone with that uh, pet agree on magic online knows to scoop when they're dead. But uh, I was like, Oh, he's waiting to see it, but it's in play. So we are, an hour 40 into this pod and we haven't started talking about rag still yet and i don't think that's a 15 minute conversation so do we want to chalk this episode up to just insanity catching back up after being gone for a month our our goofball life updates meme section lasted about twice as long as it normally does what do we want to do here I'm fine with it. Uh, although a saga of madness, much less of a catchy name. Uh, Phil, why didn't you plan for the episode going long? Uh, I mean, I think we got the saga of madness in there. Um, it just involved more anuses than we had initially anticipated. What if we call it an anus of madness? I mean, then we'd have to re-record the whole episode. Anus. <laughs> All right. So I have one thing that I can do to eat up a little bit of time. Not that we need to. I mean, the episode's long enough. And and folks, we appreciate your time and the time you spend with us every week. But there is something that I was going to bring up during the Ragstill section that is still prevalent, even if we don't talk about the deck. And that's the Ragavan Index. Have you guys seen this? Oh, of course. This is, yeah, this is a running tally of how many Ragavans you have to own before it would be cheaper to own an actual Marmoset. And... The Ragavan Index, as of this morning, is non-foil papers. You would need 17 and a half Ragavans. Paper Full Arts, 11 and a half. Paper Foils, 8.8. MTGO, 12 and a half. MTGO Promo, 9.8. So they're multiple printing of Ragavans that it would be cheaper to own a Marmoset than to have 9 or 10 copies of this card. So welcome to the price of Magic Online. And this isn't the peak of the Index either. Like, I, I think at some point it was like between seven and eight um, Magic Online Ragavans in order to just own a real monkey. Yeah, and obviously there are, I'm going to pick some nits here. 
the monkey costs more money over time while Ragavan makes you money over time. Like in addition to just literally giving you treasures every time it connects, you're probably going to win matches. And if you're playing tournaments, that's going to be worth actual money on the payback. The Ragavans have a resale value like Star City, I'm sure, has a high buy list on that. And you could just be out for, you know, 70 percent, 60 percent of what you paid. Nobody's going to buy the real Marmoset. What if your monkey's that an asshole? Shit in your house. Like, what if it's not a nice monkey? Most monkeys, let me tell you, are assholes. They are not nice. They're not smart. They're just like shrieking monsters that live in your house and they're just hungry and horny all the time. And it's not a good thing to have in your house. I would rather own eight Ragavans than an actual Marmoset 100% of the so, time. So like, are you like not counting the value of dressing your monkey like Diddy Kong? I assumed that was a baseline just assumption that the marmoset index would include the diddy kong outfit hmm. you could put a big wig on it spin it around fly it around the house like uh dixie kong is that her name trixie dixie it's dixie. dixie right yeah it's been a minute since i played that game what all right what's the best donkey kong game of the of the three originals not the not the all the way original not the arcade game but the, of the three snes Donkey Kong World 1, 2, and 3. Donkey Kong I've Country. only ever played the first Super Nintendo one. I mean, okay. you you, you kind of limited. Like, I, I would have, like, snapped off, like, Donkey Kong as being the best Donkey Kong game. But, like, if we're going to limit isn't it. Isn't that really a Mario it, game? It is, but, like, I have so many hours into that game. Doot, 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 doot. It, it's catchy, man. It's with you forever. Yeah. I have definitely played some amount of that game though I've probably played more Donkey Kong Country. And I my opinion is that 2 is the best one. But this is not a Donkey Kong Country podcast. It's a legacy podcast. Really? Because <laughs> I'm confused about that. <laughs> for for a brief, like, 35% of the episode in the middle, it's like a legacy Oreo, where we are the delicious chocolate cookies on the outside, and talking about legacy is the... This is mostly why we don't do show notes. We want you to listen to all of our bullshit and anus talk in order to get the good info. Yeah, three years from now, are you going to remember Tasha's heinous anus, or are you going to remember that 8-Wall had a moment in Legacy? Like, let's be serious. Man, I really hope the 8-Wall deck is still around in a couple of years, because it's so fun and it brings something different to the table. Someone's going to bring this up, like six months from now like ugh, those uh eternal glory guys they're such pricks they did an entire episode where they just talked about anuses for an hour like it was just like they'll attempt to use it against us and we'll just be like yeah did you read the name of that card also we can use my catchphrase go to the tape run it out like it's right here oh we did not talk about anuses for an hour we didn't talk about anything for an hour not even legacy so checkmate nerds <laughs> I, I, I thought you were going to use your other catchphrase of go touch some grass there. Uh, I've only said that once. I picked my spot on that one, but I do but like it. was it. so good. That one had me rolling. But I do like the go kick rock ones, too. That, that one's pretty good. I have been saying kick rocks for probably 20 years. I think I heard that as a kid. Maybe my grandpa said it, and it just stuck. I love that one. So is there anything else to say, or are we done? Should we sign off with our new catchphrase? I missed uh, not talking to you guys for two weeks. This was fun. Yeah, this 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 was nice, uh, listeners. I I hope you you enjoyed 
whatever it is we can call this thing that we just did for the last hour and a half or so. Imagine all the uh, clicks we got if we titled the episode Tasha's Heinous Anus. It's not too late. We could just <laughs> say something different. Like Phil's intro is whatever. We'll already have the click. Yeah, when people are Phil like, Blackman yeah. can just edit the intro to say Tasha's Heinous Anus. Phil, please write a rap. Oh my god, I was just thinking the same thing. All right, well, I guess I hope you enjoyed episode 53, Tasha's Heinous Anus. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Eternal Glory Podcast signing off. Anus. Anus. Phil, please write a rap. Oh my god, God, I was just thinking thinking the same same thing. thing.